another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a 12-questions version of the podcast with Daniel Hemrick from Richard Childress Racing. Now, you remember Daniel Hemrick, of course, from making the Final Four at Homestead last year and ultimately finishing fourth in the points. He had 16 top 10 finishes in 33 races. That was his rookie season in Xfinity, and he's currently ranked fifth in the points after four races of Xfinity this year. Before that, he ran two seasons in the Camping World Truck Series, where he finished 7th and 6th in the points, and has long been viewed as a rising prospect based on his late model success at short tracks around the country. He's also somebody that has a really great personality and is fun to talk to, so let's see what he has to say in this week's 12 Questions. All right, everybody, I'm here with Daniel Hemrick. And Daniel, uh, the first question is, how often do you have dreams about racing? How often do I have dreams about racing? You know, it's kind of self-induced when I do have dreams about racing. It's probably more so when the anxiety of not running like I want to run or something like that where I really have to put a lot more emphasis on that racetrack that given weekend, you know, doing a lot more studying or doing a lot more simulation. Whatever it is, I lay down at night, and if that's the last thing I'm thinking about, that's when I dream about racing. It's huh. it's uh, more frequent, in all honesty, at this level than when I've ever had it in the past short track racing. You know, short track racing, I would go through spells where you're one of the guys that beat every single weekend. You're winning races on, on a constant basis. So when I would have those dreams, it was about winning races, and it was crazy how over time, I thought it was just a, a freak deal. I, I'd win a race after a dream about it, but then it happened often. And it would, I would win often in those situations. So I was like, man, it's kind of kind of creepy, but wow. it always worked out. And at this level, uh, I've had one of those dreams where we ran good, and and, and uh, you know, you know how dreams are, right? You're, it don't make sense. A lot of it, how it's all tied together, but um, it's kind of all correlated. When I have dreams about running well, and it, it all translates. When I have dreams about rough weekends, sometimes we're over to overcome some of that, but a lot of it plays out roughly the way the dreams do so it's kind of crazy how it's all how it's all worked out over the past but i need more of those winning dreams that'd be good for the series wow well we're here in vegas you might need to go down to one of those like psychic things and like if, if you need some extra income or something just pop in the storefront you're exactly you're exactly yeah. right I, I honestly i wouldn't even tell my wife about it for the longest time but when it started happening more and more i'm like i've got to share this with somebody because it's it's a lot to hold in it's pretty pretty wild wow um if you get into someone during a race, intentional or not, does it matter if you apologize? Oh, I think so for sure. Um, you know, it's just because it's fresh in my mind. Uh, last week at Atlanta, we didn't get into each other, but we very easily could have. Um, it was in qualifying. I got a new spotter, Brandon Lines, this year. He was doing an incredible job. And uh, we thought Joey Logano was on his fast lap, and he was going to shut down at the flag stand after making his one round of qualifying, one lap in qualifying. And so I rolled off pit road, come to find out he was getting a green. Oh. So long story short, I run the top of three and four coming to green. Lagana goes to the bottom, and he was coming to the checkered. Well, it just worked out that he merged right. I'm talking two or three inches behind me. And it didn't mess him up. It almost kind of helped him draft to the line and run even faster. But I made sure I got I was like, hey, man, it was just a miscommunication. That's, that's like more of a, a driver ethic code, so to say. Because if I didn't say anything, if we'd been in a race running side by side, if I was him, I would have been like, hey, this dude pulled up in front of me and qualifying. I'm going to give him a break. So I think it's good to just knock that stuff out and get ahead of it. Hmm, that's smart. 
What is the biggest compliment someone could give you? Biggest compliment? Uh, for me, you know, coming from where I've come from and and doing it the way I've had to do it, often I'll go back short track racing. And because the parents of the kids that are trying to figure out how to get their kid to this level or even further, they're always saying, what's our next step? What should we do? That's always a question. What do we need to do with our son or daughter next? That's that's a huge compliment to myself without them saying it because they're like somewhere along the lines whatever you did made an impact at that level and they have enough respect and just i don't say honor but that they really trust what you're saying and and how you can guide them and the answer to all that is there's no right way you just gotta make the most of every opportunity and that's how i try to tell everybody what their next step should be with their children but um just to have somebody trusting you for your advice that's pretty special Hmm, that's really cool Okay, so NASCAR comes to you and says, hey, we're bringing a celebrity to the race, and we're wondering if you have time to say hi to them. Who's a celebrity you'd be really excited to host at a race? Celebrity. For me, a celebrity, I think of uh, sports icons mm-hmm. and, or coaches is because all of our deals are so team-related. So um, I was watching a, a Carolina basketball game, a big Tar Heels fan, and uh, Coach Roy Williams, and the way that guy, the passion and everything he shows on, on the basketball court and good, bad, or indifferent, you see them throughout the season change teams and change players and, and how they approach and, and handle situations. So if I had the opportunity to host somebody, that'd be a guy. I think it'd be cool to hear his knowledge and his info of how he handles because every team's different every year, right? He's having to conform to whatever makes those guys tick. I'd like to get a little background to host that guy for a week. Man, that'd be awesome. Get like get him to talk to the team, come in the holler and stuff. Oh, my yeah. gosh, yeah. If you couldn't get fired up after listening to one of those speeches, you probably shouldn't be here. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so in an effort to show they're health conscious, NASCAR offers the number one pit stall selection for an upcoming race to the first driver willing to go vegan for a month. Would you do it? Absolutely not. No way. <laughs> Would not happen. No, I'm uh, I'm all meat potatoes. and <laughs> No, absolutely not. I have not one driver has said yes so far. Not well, even like... Well, it's still open, part. right? It's well, still open, yeah. Well, it sounds to me like if you, nobody takes it, the number two pit stall is just as good. <laughs> Man, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Okay. Um, oh, it's time for the random race challenge. So oh I have picked a random race from your career, and you have to tell me where you finished in this random race that I picked. Okay? Oh, boy. here we go. This is the 2016 truck race at the May Charlotte race. 2016? Mm-hmm. I would have been in uh, Keselowski's truck. I remember how this. I, I remember this race now. I'm thinking back because uh, the race got rained out. It's supposed to be a night race. We came back and raced earlier that day. Really hot. Um, how'd I finish? We led laps early. Me and Kyle raced for early in the race. I feel like for a while. I remember him running the top, me running the bottom. Probably the most fun race I ever ran in a truck because Charlotte was so slick that day. Something happened. We got off on pit cycle or sequence. I'm gonna say ninth to eleventh. I can't remember because we got off. The answer is ninth. Oh, how about that? So the first one was right. Yes. yes. That's pretty amazing. That's yeah, that, pretty amazing. You that, started eighth. You led 15 laps. And, yeah, you finished ninth. You finished um, right behind C. Bell and ahead of Byron. How about that? I do remember that. Yeah, because that race in particular, it was cool because obviously Charlotte's my hometown, right? And that's where I got my first breakout really was at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So moving to the top one of the top three series, being in a truck, you go there – and it was the first time to lead laps on the big track. It's the first time to have a solid shot or, or run solid in front of the home crowd. So 
that's a you picked a good one to remember. Okay, so I should have gone harder. No, that that was perfect. At <laughs> okay. least it gave me something good, good memories, good uh, good vibe here as we start the weekend. Okay, that's good. Uh, who is the best rapper alive? Best rapper alive. I'm gonna have to go. The only one I can really know and recite for, as a kid was Eminem, right? I can remember getting in a lot of trouble for saying a lot of stuff that he was <laughs> rapping about. But Your parents was, didn't like that? My parents were not a big fan of that. Um, I'm sure they have no idea how much I actually listened to it. But, um, yeah, that, that's probably my answer. Okay. Who has the most punchable face in NASCAR? Punchable face in NASCAR. There's no way to not answer this and get criticized for this <laughs> of some way, some sort. That's um, true. <laughs> most punchable face. I'm going to have to go, not necessarily because I want to punch him in the face, or but it seems like the fans in the garage, Logano's done it or tried to do it, and that's Kyle Busch, right? I love the dude. I think he's good as good as gold. He's great for our sport, but a lot of guys like to take jabs at him. So I think uh, from the fans as a whole, that's probably the biggest answer. That does seem to qualify. I mean, like a lot of people I mean, would it probably happens. pick that. It yes, happens. That's right, yes. Um, in fact, you're a team owner, but we won't have to get into that. <laughs> oh, <anyway. laughs> Okay, so NASCAR enlists three famous Americans to be involved with your team for a race as part of a big publicity push they're doing. They're going to bring Taylor Swift, LeBron James, and Tom Hanks. You have to pick one to be your crew chief, one to be your spotter, and the other to be your motorhome driver. So between Taylor Swift, LeBron, and Tom Hanks, who's your crew chief, who's your spotter, and who's your motorhome driver? That's tough. That's tough. I think that's three different people for sure. (laughs) Um, I'd have to go with... I'm going to go with LeBron as a motorhome driver for the fact that he's always in different cities, right? You, you know he knows the spots. He knows what's going on, how to get there. If not, the people to talk to to get us where we want to go so far for that weekend. Um, so he, he'd be the motorhome driver to have everything set up. And uh, he fit, seems like a really diligent dude. Like he takes his stuff all nice and clean. Like, you know, that's how he presents himself. So he'd be, he'd be my motorhome driver. Um Tom Hanks is definitely be the crew chief, without okay. a doubt. I mean, the guy is just to see him play any role or hear him in any anything he does, it's incredible. So to know he's got to be able to just keep keep a group of guys working in one direction and pulling the rope the same direction, I think that'd be a very interesting setup on top of the pit box. And the Taylor Swift deal, I don't think it'd be modern day Taylor Swift or like or like early two thousand tens Taylor Swift. I'd say if it's earlier, earlier Taylor Swift, I'm good with the, her being on the radio. Modern, not as big of a fan, so. <laughs> She's I'd changed. Have, okay, yeah, I'd have to know which one I had there. Okay. What is the key to finding the best pre-race bathroom? A great PR person. Oh, okay. Yeah, and luckily I have Jay Finol over here. He uh, he makes it happen for me. He knows as soon as, I, as soon as I walk off the stage or get done riding the truck, he's he knows exactly where I want to go, so he's got it usually picked out for me, and that's, that's key. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay, so uh, this question p- apparently was tailor-made for you, but uh, it's for everybody else that hasn't heard it, NASCAR misses the highlight real value brought by Carl Edwards backflips, and they decide a replacement's needed. I've been asking people how much money they would have to pay you to backflip off your car, but you backflipping is your celebration, so I don't think they would have to pay you, I'm assuming. That's exactly right. And actually, from the time we do this interview till we actually make that reality, I mean, we'll give them from now till then to draw a crowd, make sure everybody's tuned in because it will happen the first time I can break through victory lane in, uh, in the Xfinity Series. So that's uh, we talked about dreams earlier. That, that's a dream of mine is being able to do that off a race car at, at one of these top levels. And um, whether the fans like it or, or dislike it with me doing something Carl did, like 
Carl was a guy I legitimately looked up to racing. So to see him do that, I was obviously young racing Bandoleros. I thought, I thought, man, that's pretty cool. And nobody else, for the most part, is going to be able to do that. So that's something I latched on to because I got a ton of respect for the dude. So hopefully I can be the guy they can latch on to whenever it does happen. Are, are you confident in your ability to do one, though? Because I heard a rumor that um, – a couple years ago, like during a Fox preseason shoot or something, something or so, your leg caught on something, or you didn't quite execute it and you fell or something. Like yeah, that. we had a uh, we had a um, a setup malfunction, so to say. I, I'll tell a story. We're <laughs> we're sitting in the green room and it was a three questions about yourself, uh, two true, one false, and let the fans decide what's what. And like you know, one I can do a backflip and two other random things. Like, can you really do it? I'm like, absolutely. So I. Uh, I sit there, and I said, okay, we're ready. So I take one step back, and me taking the one step back when I jumped, my foot caught the drop-down green screen, and, oh. it, it, you know, I, and you know, I went on and, and hit the ground, and it's very embarrassing to say the least. But uh, a couple of buddies in the garage, they've seen me do it. Heck, I can stand on flat ground and, and knock it out. So being on top of a race car makes it that much easier. you got, <laughs> you got way less rotating and all that stuff. So it's, uh, i got 100% faith in myself to do it. I just okay. got to be able to get to a chance where I can do it. Okay, sounds good. So, um, last interview I did was with Alex Bowman, and I asked him to give a question for you. Oh boy. So, I never even spoke to that guy. Yeah, he said he didn't know you that well, nope. but he apparently used to come to Summer Shootout oh and boy. watch you. So, he was saying that, you know, he, he would see you kick some butt, and um, your career was really on the rise. And then he said it seemed like for a couple years there, your career sort of stalled out as you were trying to get this chance. And he could really relate to that because his career stalled out. He was at a different level at the time. It sure. stalled out. But he was wondering um, how, during that time, how you were thinking and feeling about what direction your career was going and were you worried and things like that. That's a great question. I got to make sure I think him. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I guess thinking about it, yeah, our, our past really, really sounds similar in that aspect um, at, at diff- two different points for sure. But you know, for me, I was in a spot there after Legend Cars. I was trying to break into the super late mile ranks. And, you know, for the people that don't know, I didn't have – there was no path. Like, I didn't I didn't know what was next. I had no goals of when I wanted to be at a certain point by when because I was already older than most of the people I'd raced against or been racing against. So there was a lot of stuff stacked against me, so to say. But as the year by year went and I saw the people that I'd been racing with over the course of time, they would either – go take that next shot and fall short and give up on it or they'd quit working for it and for whatever reason i knew i didn't know how to get there but i knew stop working at it was not going to get me there i had mm-hmm. I had to figure out a way to be in something if i wanted to get to this level and obviously there was i mean just more people than i can even begin to think or even imagine to say their names on here to thank them for even giving me that next shot but just staying in front of people um not really knowing what the end result was going to be, but just giving everything you had, no matter if it was going to sweep the floor for Jeff Foltz because that was the only opportunity I had, and he had late models in his shop that maybe I'd get in one one day or or, uh, going to work for Eddie Sharp and and getting hooked up with uh, the Gallagher family out of California that invested in me over the years and got me to the Xfinity Series. And there's so much stuff that all ties together. And my point being there is there is so many things that didn't make sense but I always just try to put myself in that situation. So in the middle of, of the career stall, it was just staying hungry and, and knowing that I really didn't have to do anything else. So I had to put 100% effort into every single day of whatever that was, and that's how I somehow I was able to keep going and got to this point. Wow, that's really cool. Well, I'm glad Alex asked that question because that's a really interesting that's answer. That's a great, great question. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have a specific person 
for you to give a question yet because it's, it's a couple weeks out from the time we're doing this. So do you have a, a general question that I could ask uh, the next driver to do this interview? Yeah, I think just as a whole, my, my question would be this to, to whoever is next. And I think it will relate to anyone really is, you know, over the last couple of days, there's been, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, hype around top 20 prospects or, or who, who's going to be the next guy. Well, looking at that list, there's a lot of guys that either are currently still short track racing or are trying to get to this level, but they're still dabbing in some of that. My question for the next person is if they had the opportunity and they had made it and they had their race team and they knew it was a successful race team and it was going to run good regardless of who was in it, but who's that one driver at the short track level that you feel like could get the job done, but they need that shot. That hmm. whether whether that's an Alex Bowman or or, a, or myself or anybody that's got that shot and then went on and prevailed, who would that kid be, and, and what what rank would he come from? So, not are you thinking of like a kid specifically? Like, tell me a kid right now that you that you see could have some talent that if you had a team you would sort of bring up that kind of thing. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and that's 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 the goal is is more or less I want to get them talking about some other some other local mm-hmm. short track kid specifically that they feel like may not ever get that shot and he may get that shot but getting the hype around his name would be a good thing for everybody yeah that's a really good cool question well thanks for doing this i appreciate absolutely, it absolutely man I had a good time it's always fun all right everybody so there you have it appreciate daniel hemrick doing the interview and after his question for the next guy i thought you know who would be a good person to interview who would be a good driver that would really know the lower ranks well and have a good answer for Daniel's question. And I thought of Kyle Larson, so that will be the next interview. And I asked Kyle Larson, so you'll have to stay tuned to see what Larson said next week. Typically at this point in the podcast, I give patron shout-outs. I think I'm all caught up on those at the moment. So if you're somebody who is pledging $10 or more a month on Patreon and you have not heard your shout-out, shoot me a message on the Patreon email, and I will either look up your name and say, oh, here's the episode I gave you a shout out, or I'll say, oops, somehow I missed you, and I will correct my mistake. So let me know about that. The next episode is another one I'm really excited about. It's with Josh Jones, who is Kevin Harvick's longtime right-hand man, business manager. He has a crazy story for the How I Got Here series. Really cool to hear how he started his career and Hopefully, it's something you'll enjoy. That comes out on Thursday. And then it's off to Fontana, where I'll find another media member to do a post-race podcast. I finally got my first defeat last week in the post-race podcast, trying to guess the was it a good race poll. Dominic Aragon from the Racing Experts defeated me. He was only 1% off the was a good race poll. He said 75%, and it was actually 74 whereas I said 83%. So Dominic wins. My record falls to 4-1 and one now. And uh, we'll see who I can get next week. So until then, thanks so much for listening. And I'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast.